Welcome everyone to a new episode of Data Driven Talk. I'm your host Enrico Signoretti and today I'm with Alex Kirkop, co-founder and CTO of Storage OS. Hi Alex, how are you? I'm brilliant, thank you. How are you Enrico? I'm fine, thank you. And uh, thank you again for joining me today. The topic for today is uh, storage for containers. It's uh, an interesting topic uh, also because uh, it's a uh, i would say it's complicated, okay? Because uh, in the last few years, we saw several uh, waves of uh, new uh, forms of virtualization. So the first was, uh, you know, from physical to virtual. Then we discovered that uh, virtualization uh, was, uh, let's say, complex again. And we started to remove pieces and we moved uh, towards containers. So specialized component that uh, uh, were designed to do just uh, a single thing but better without the uh, the operating system to manage and so and then we moved to microservices and lately to serverless okay and uh, I don't know maybe I'm wrong but storage didn't follow uh, exactly uh, this space so what's your opinion in this So, so you're right. I, I think the market has been um, accelerating very quickly, um, and mostly it's been reacting to to demands in um, large enterprise and, and cloud environments. So, you know, as you mentioned, when environments went from from physical to to virtual, the the main driver there was to um, a to, to be able to. Uh, make better use of hardware and to provide better efficiencies in the data center. But ultimately, um, each of those virtual environments just created another operating system that had to be managed and all the complexities that that involved um, from a patching point of view, a monitoring point of view, a backup point of view. And even then from an application point of view, there each of those, each of those hosts had to have um, their dependencies configured and libraries and various other things that the applications needs needed, um, which drove um, the, the, the initiatives towards containerization where an application can be self-contained and doesn't have um, uh, root dependencies on the, on the host operating system. Um, and effectively all the dependencies for an application are contained uh, in, in a container Um, and now that application becomes um, immutable and portable um, and easier to deploy. And, and, and this, is, this has given us lots of advantages in terms of minimizing uh, operating system configuration and all of these sorts of things, um, which then led on to orchestration environments like, like Kubernetes to help us manage all of those containers. Um, and then the natural, the natural evolution for, for certain workloads, um, which depend on um, which depend on events, is then to go to serverless. So serverless environments um, are driven by uh, rapid change and rapid sets of events, which um, allow uh, a developer to create functions that react to those events. Um, and, and that provides and that provides a lot of flexibility for for certain types of workloads. Um, but how does all of this tie into tie into uh, uh, storage? So, in the physical world, storage was configured to 
hosts and hosts consumed the storage and an application was put on a host and that host um, uh, and that application then used the storage that was on that host. Um, and the analogy kind of moved on to the virtual environments too, because again, remember the virtual environments were just creating uh, virtual environments of those hosts. So again, we ended up with storage that was being presented to to a, now a virtual host um, through through a hypervisor somehow. Um, and and again, that that storage and that that uh, that data was, was tied to that virtual host instance. But now, when we have microservices, storage becomes um, very much more application centric, and storage needs to be tied to applications rather than um, rather than uh, the individual hosts. So we're kind of moving from an environment where. Um, volumes and data was was made available to servers and hosts and VMs um, and we're moving to an environment where storage needs to be presented to individual applications. And of course, since those containers are being managed by orchestrators, then the orchestrator now needs to be able to um, manage the storage environments to make sure that the storage can follow where the containers are getting deployed. So, in much the same way that um, an orchestra that in an orchestrator we can compose the dependencies of an application, like what containers it uses and how much CPU and memory it needs and what network ports it it, ha- it can use, for example, we now need to get to the stage where we're able to compose and declare the storage requirements too. And I think that's that's the fundamental challenge um, of containers and and storage persistency. Yeah, in fact, uh, so the real challenge is to combine the stateless uh, behavior of a container in a world that uh, really needs data persistency. Okay, look, looks like uh, you know at the beginning uh, the guys that designed the the containers missed this uh, point. They thought at the beginning that everything should be ephemeral, even Docker was not designed around uh, storage, okay? So it's just uh, a component in the kernel. You, you spin up these containers and you can spin up 10 of them in uh, in seconds. But at, at the end, uh, when it comes to store and access data, there was always this problem of uh, data persistency. So why it's so complicated to get persistent storage uh, to containers? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, containers were... Um, designed to be stateless and ephemeral and be able to be moved from host to host. Um, But the practical realities are that every application needs to store state somewhere. There is no such thing as a stateless application. Um, And the application needs to store state in, in, uh, in something. And that something can be a database, it can be an object store, it could be um, a volume full of files. It could be some sort of sort of shared file system, um, and and I think what what we're seeing is that the first set of applications that were containerized and moved into the containerized environment continued to consume storage that was effectively deployed in legacy environments. So, for example, you might have um, uh, a microservice or an application that that was consuming data out of a database. And that database was um, sitting on 
uh, a more legacy traditional cluster or traditional storage environments or using traditional volumes. And now what we're seeing is that the organizations are, are looking for ways on how to get the same benefits in terms of um, ease of use and um, rapid CICD environments and, and quick development times and agile development times um, to the rest of their legacy environment, including things like you know databases and object stores and other services like that. Um, and in some environments, of course, they're consuming those services straight from cloud providers. But in many cases, especially on-premise, they have somebody is going to be building those environments. So it's perfectly fine to run a database on a container, for example, if your container has access to some persistent storage and that persistent storage is now available um, on the different nodes in the cluster, allowing the database to be restarted or move around the cluster. Yeah, in fact, I saw a lot of uh, projects, mostly open source projects around this uh, uh, I know connectors or uh, uh, other forms of uh, you know um, storage access layers uh, for containers, but uh, I don't know. Um, looks like that most of them uh, have failed somehow. Uh, am I right, or uh, is just an impression? Um, I, I think with a rapidly evolving market, different standards um, evolve and. Uh, get replaced and rate of change is high. I wouldn't necessarily say that that some of those standards have failed, but um, certainly some projects have been more successful than others. Um, I think when we look at the storage environments, again, the challenges of creating a storage system that's application-centric rather than presenting to a host um, is is platform agnostic and can run in cloud and and, and on-premise is, is declarative and composable and can be self-service and dynamically provisioned through an orchestrator is, is quite a complex thing. Um, and so what we've seen is we've seen a number of different interfaces develop. So initially, we had the DVDI interface, which is the Docker volume driver interface, um, which which Docker um, put together. Um, and that interface allowed uh, a plugin um, to be able to interface between the Docker engine and a storage subsystem. And that was probably the first the first uh, interface that 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 came about. The, the, the problem with, with this interface and, and all other interfaces that followed afterwards was that very often the limitation came with the storage system. So just because you created an API that allowed, for example, an orchestrator to request a volume didn't mean that the backend storage system could dynamically provision a volume and move that volume and attach and detach the volume to, to different nodes in a cluster as, 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 as that sort of agile environment needed. So there were some limitations in that respect. Um, and as we moved forward, um, I think what what became obvious was that the orchestrator needed to, to control and be authoritative for that interface. So whereas we had one stream where Docker and Docker Swarm were developing DVDI, we had uh, Kubernetes that was developing um, its own set of plugins. And, and in fact, um, they have... Uh, a number of different plugins which are mainlined into the Kubernetes source now. Um, and they also experimented with um, something called Flex Volumes, which was um, uh, a method to allow external drivers to connect to Kubernetes. Um, but what's very exciting now um, is 
um, the use of something called CSI, which is the the container storage interface. Uh, sorry, yeah, the container storage interface. Um, the, the CSI is a multi-container orchestrator standard, so it's not limited to just Kubernetes. So, for example, Mesosphere is actively is actively involved in the development of the standard too. And the idea is that CSI provides a standard API between different orchestrators and different um, storage subsystems. Um, and what CSI will allow us to do in the long run is, is allow the different orchestrators to manage a wider variety um, of storage systems using, using a very standard external API that will be less dependent, say, on the version of the orchestrators or the, in the, or the specific version um, of the storage system. And the reason that's important is because um, it addresses a lot of the limitations that were driving some of the other initiatives, which perhaps are less popular nowadays, like the various API frameworks that were created. Um, and, and perhaps those are some of the open source projects that you're referring to, which, which effectively were kind of like a middleman between the orchestrator and the storage system and kind of bridged those APIs. Um, but we're always seen as a middleman and therefore we're never going to be as successful as a, as a project uh, such as CSI. Okay, so uh, just to recap quickly, uh, you're telling me that uh, more or less it was a problem of maturity because uh, we tried uh, different approaches and uh, some of them more successful than others. And uh, so after uh, several iterations now, we have CSI that uh, looks like uh, robust enough to to do the job, but at the same time, as far as I understand, so at the beginning we had a uh, a serious problem with the standard storage system. Okay, they are they were not designed to cope with the container. Probably the fact that you can really have thousands of them and they can disappear in a moment and so on. So. Uh, the flexibility of the standard storage is not enough to cope with uh, this kind of technology. Am I right? That, that's correct, um, and you know, and, and that's why um, we set about creating Storage OS, for example, as a, as a new breed of software-defined storage system that that was container-focused and orchestrator-focused. Okay, so what what does it mean being an orchestrator and container-focused? Can you? dig a little bit more in what storage OS does. Sure. So so storage OS is a is a software-defined storage system which which um, runs as a container and is actually deployed as a container and managed by um, orchestrators. And and the idea is that storage OS can be deployed as a container on a number of nodes within a cluster and it can virtualize the different storage that's available on each of those nodes and create a storage pool that spans all the nodes in the cluster. And from that storage pool, you can then carve out volumes, um, which can be used by the containers in a global volume namespace. So, so what this means is that a volume that's created on one node is immediately available on all the other nodes. And, and this allows you to create, um, create volumes that can be used, say, by databases or message buses or any other stateful um, uh, microservice or application. Um, which can now be um, uh, moved around in the cluster and deployed on different nodes as nodes come up and nodes go down. 
um, under full orchestrator management. Um, and we do things like synchronous replication across the nodes to make sure that um, the data is available in, in more than one location to protect against things like you know disk failures or node failures. Um, and we do things like uh, uh, caching and uh, data locality and QoS to, to improve the performance of data within the cluster. And we also do things like data reduction to um, reduce the amount of storage that you need on the back end, but more importantly, reduce the amount of storage that needs to go over the wire for for replication. And and the the difference here between say storage OS and, and more um, traditional storage systems is the, the the ability to be application centric, to be container aware and orchestrator aware, um, and and uh, and provides those sort of services across any type of platform. So because storage OS is run in a container. Um, and doesn't have any kernel dependencies or any proprietary hardware dependencies, it can run anywhere. You can run a container, which basically means bare metal or VMs or cloud instances. So, so users get the same declarative and composable interface where they can manage their volumes and dynamically provision volumes through, um, through an API-driven system that works directly with the orchestrators across any type of platform. Okay, so... Um... Let's try to um, to explain here. So you have a special container that is deployed in several nodes. Okay, no matter if these nodes are in the cloud or physical in your uh, data center, and you have a, this is a special container because it has access to the to the hardware underneath the the node. Okay, and uh, and and see the and and sees the um, the storage resources available. So it, it uh, talks with all the other containers, storage OS containers, and makes a pool of storage out of, his, uh, of uh, these resources. And uh, on top of it, you provide uh, uh, all the services that uh, you know an enterprise uh, should expect. So data protection, uh, data footprint efficiency of some sort, so compression or the duplication, and uh, all the um, all the data integrity features that uh, I could expect, and you serve uh, containers in the platforms, okay, for storage, right? That's okay. correct. Yeah, um, it, it's it's probably worth noting that we don't interface directly with hardware, but we interface with um, storage devices that that are exposed from the operating system. So so effectively. Um, any any storage device that can be seen from the Linux host. Okay, I understand. So at the end of the day, what is the benefit of this approach? So having the storage em- embedded in the orchestrator at the end. So so the benefit of the approach is the orchestrator is managing the deployment of the environment, which which at the end of the day, the storage um, provider is just another container. So it's it works at the application level, just like any of the other applications and because it's um and because we have native integration with both docker and kubernetes um a typical user doesn't even need to know um, any storage specific skills they can um, dynamically provision volumes and, and manage the entire environment using the native functionality of the of the orchestrator or the container environment. So, for example, with, with, in the Docker world, you can use the Docker volume 
um, set of commands. And in the Kubernetes world, we use the, the concept of, um, of um, persistent volumes and persistent volume claims with storage classes um, to automate declaration. And, and what does this mean? It means that now a user can create a YAML file, um, which is just another way of, of saying a configuration file effectively for their application where they can say, my application needs this type of storage with these parameters, with this sort of size. Um, it needs this type of CPU. It needs this amount of memory. It needs these network ports open that it needs to be deployed on this number of nodes. And automatically, Kubernetes goes and does that for you. Um, and it does it for you in a way that is completely agnostic of the platform that you're running on. So, so the developer um, can deploy their application in exactly the same way um, if they were running on a bare metal cluster as they would on a um, on a cluster of uh, VMs as they would on a cluster of uh, cloud instances. Um, and that's and that is the that, that is the main benefit. It's 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 the it's the ability to to give um, users. Um, self-service environments in this space. Um, the other thing that we've seen very, very uh, clearly, though, is that you know there are a lot of requirements that that enterprises and and larger environments require. For example, you know, like the things you mentioned around disaster recovery, business continuity, um, data retention, and all of those sorts of things, which which also needs to be controlled at a central layer and are often defined by say a compliance team or, or an infosec team and so what we do is we tie all of the um, all of this functionality um, into an automated rules engine which uh, users can can access through the standard kubernetes or docker's labels so for example um, a user might tag an application with say production database and that's automatically uh, means that uh, Storage OS will place the data on the fastest disk and um, apply the right levels of replication and say the right levels of encryption to the environment, um, and and this all happens transparently to the user. So the, so 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 the developer can still maintain all the flexibility of a self-service environment, where whereas the compliance and infosec and audit teams, for example, can can gain uh, automate automated insights to make sure that. Um, the environment is being considered is being configured to enterprise policy. Okay, so uh, you're telling me that uh, the real benefit is the user experience in the end. So they, the, um, you you can forget storage by adopting a solution like yours, and all the hassle that it is uh, comes from the management of this storage platform because everything is demanded to the orchestrator at the end. Okay, but. Uh, how do you manage the backend of this uh, of this solution? Okay, do you have a user interface, APIs? So how can I manage uh, you know the level of data protection, so RAID or the other things that you provide? Sure. So so as I said, typically those sorts of things can be quite easily managed through. Uh, the standard orchestrator environments. However, we do have, um, um, we can manage the environments through our own uh, RESTful APIs. Um, and we also have a CLI and a GUI as well to, to help with sort of visualization of, of, of that config. Um, and we also make sure that the system is well instrumented. So we have log streams and, for example, instrument. Um, and we also have integration into systems like Prometheus to 
to uh, to be able to instrument, you know, things like counters and various other performance uh, information. So I'm quite curious now, and I would like to know more about the product in the sense, uh, can I test it somehow or um, do you have a, a license that is available uh, for free? Oh, indeed. So Storage OS is available on the Docker Hub. Um, anybody can can download it and try it out. Um, our developer edition is 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 free for life. Um, it's it's feature limited, but it allows you to, to test and install all of, the, of all of the features for for development environments. Um, and then uh, production environments can go for a professional or an enterprise license. But effectively, what we encourage users to do and what we encourage developers to do is to is to try it and, and in their own environments, which they can do really easily. It's it's a it's a fifteen minute install. Um, and if you want to try the product uh, without installing, we have um, a set of tutorials that are available from both our uh, website and our documentation pages um, that effectively fire up a, a, a three node sandbox, which which allows you to to experiment and explore Storage OS in a number of uh, tutorials and use cases without having to install anything yourself. So do you also provide some best practices for the configuration for the storage resources that you need? Uh... Um, so that is often uh, a factor of, uh, you know, what the enterprise actually needs. Um, we're, we're quite happy to, to consume uh, resources uh, any type of resources that are available on, on the Linux uh, environment. Um, Storage OS itself has a very low CPU memory overhead, um, so so we, we we don't we don't impose any you know uh, significant requirements in terms of which type of nodes you can install it on. Um, but the choice of storage on the back end will largely be defined by uh, the enterprise's requirements in terms of, you know, performance or, or, or availability, for example. Um, it's, it's probably worth noting that, you know, in some environments, storage OS is being deployed in completely brand new, uh, greenfield type deployments. But in some cases, we're also being deployed on, um, existing, uh, existing systems, perhaps an existing virtualized cluster, for example, uh, or an existing VMware cluster, um, where we're just making use of storage that's already there. Um, and Storage OS is providing the, the integration and, and the data services um, for, the, for, the, for the applications on top of the existing environments. Does it mean also that you support uh, Flash as well as uh, our, our drives in the same configuration, like in a hybrid fashion? That, that's correct. So, so you can have different. Um, the idea is that you can have different pools with with different um, classes of storage. Where, where a lot of uh, what we've developed um, in terms of the backend processing is heavily optimized for for flash and for flash type deployments. Um, but we work equally well on 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 spinning media if, if that's what's required. Okay, so storage OS approach sounds really, really cool. And it's totally different from what we usually see from traditional storage vendors, okay? Even the vendors that uh, are now looking at uh, virtual storage appliances or uh, hyper-converged infrastructure. It, it is, and I think it's being driven by um, the desire that enterprises and other large organizations um Wants to be able to consume storage like the like they can consume storage in um, in cloud environments, um, and this is driving the demand to 
containerization and uh, software-defined solutions for for these environments. Yeah, indeed. And uh, so, Alex, this was a really nice conversation, and I learned a lot about storage OS and storage for containers. But uh, how can uh, we dig more in uh, in the topic? Can you provide us a few links? Uh, from Storage OS, and how can we reach you on uh, on the internet? Sure. So um, we have a community Slack, which is uh, slack.storageos.com, um, where where we have uh, our engineers and product managers are, are often on there, and they c- and you can ask questions and we can help you out. Um, the main website is storageos.com, and all of our documentation is under docs.storageos.com. Um, and that includes uh, the tutorials and other reference use cases for for things like databases and message buses. Um, myself, I'm available on Twitter as well at, at uh, Kira001. Alex, thank you very much for your time, for the information that you gave us about storage OS and containers for storage. You're very welcome, Enrico. As always, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Okay, thank you again. Bye-bye. Thanks, Enrico. Bye-bye.